All right, I invite you to be seated. And as you're seated, I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we come together around the table having sung songs of praise and also heard your scriptures read to hear a word from you that we might be transformed into your love. So speak to us this day and the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, O Lord, our God. Amen. Starting this series at the table, and I'm sure all dot and thought this reading from Exodus just fits your dinner table routines or should fit your dinner table routines, right? The slaughtered lamb and everyone, how you should eat it and all the details. And we're going to get to that for a moment. But before we get to the scripture that, you know, you're still probably wondering why we read it, I want to begin just a little bit with setting the stage of why I think gathering around the table is so important. It's a, it's a core theology for me. And if you know me, in part, it's a core theology because I just love food, period, right? I wake up in the morning, and one of the first questions I ask my wife is, what do you want for dinner, right? Like, I figure out that, and then my day revolves around it from there. I need to know, do I have to pull something out of the freezer? Are we going to go out? Like, what is the deal around this dinner? And I also love good food. Right? And so I like to go out to nice restaurants when Ashley and I were traveling in Thailand, which I'm going to get to in a little bit later. But we were traveling in Thailand. I did like days of research to find the restaurant that we would go to. Right? I mean, it was very important that on our date night in Bangkok, we got the meal that we wanted to get. And we did all the research around it. Any, any other foodies out there that really like to like course out your meal and do that. Okay, I'm not alone on this. So when you hear gather around the table, it, it's vividly important for you because you know it's just important for your life. One of the things though for us as American Christians though is that when we think about the table and even food for that matter, we often disconnect it from our faith. You know, it just doesn't seem to have much to do with what we do as Christians, other than pray before we gather around the dinner table, that it, God doesn't necessarily speak to our lives of eating with specificity. I know we've done the Daniel plan in the past, but it's obscure for us American Christians. And I remember the obscurity of dietary habits came when I was in Thailand. I was actually there for my cousin's wedding. I already talked about how I like researched for the dinner and did all this. Well, my cousin, it was a super interesting wedding. I, had to, uh, I was officiating. I had the privilege of officiating. And my cousin, you know, Christian grew, growing up, and his spouse was part Thai and part Jewish. So we had a Thai-Jewish-Christian wedding um, in Bangkok. And so we did the whole ceremonial Thai one, and then we also did the Judeo-Christian wedding on the rooftop. And it was amazing. But one of the guests that was part of the party, wasn't, there was no real bridal party, but was invited to the rehearsal dinner, let's say, and, you know, because a cousin, was a Jewish family, because, you know, part Jewish, but this Jewish family was from Israel, right? And they lived there, and they were practicing Jews. And I, of course, you know, they sit the pastor across from the Jewish family that is, you know, got a lot to talk about. So there we were, and we had a lot to talk about, right? But what was so fascinating was that here I was doing my research on, you know, the top restaurant I was going to go to. They were doing their research on how the heck they were going to eat kosher in Thailand. Because apparently it wasn't a thing. And he went to like, we had gotten granola bars, we got everything that they were going to get beforehand. And then they said, there is one market in all of Bangkok 
that sells the type of food that they needed to eat. And so that, it was so fascinating to talk to them, because if you aren't familiar, Jewish culture and also Jewish faith eats practice of kosher. And just depending on how you know, strict the family follows that, kosher is a diet that they follow, like not eating pig, for example, or shellfish, and also making sure that there's a, a rabbi that's present and knows the process that the food must go through. You might see kosher dill pickles, right? And there's a little sign on it. That sign is a symbol that this has been approved and able for that family to eat. So you can imagine in Thailand, there's not a lot of rabbis around to help make sure that process of food is followed in all the ways that need to. But what was fascinating about this couple was that they were talking about how, you know, they kind of give and take on their faith here and there. But for them, the food, how they ate was central to them and to their faith. But it's not just Jews that follow a faith practice of food. But you also have halal, and you have, so Muslim, you have Hindu, you have all of them have food, and the way that they eat is a part of their faith practice. It's, it's a, actually, in some, a central part. For us, some of us who grew up Catholic, it's not eating meat on Fridays, right? Or giving up throughout Lent, not eating meat on Fridays throughout Lent. And then for others, we gave up some sort of food throughout the season of Lent. But other than that, the idea of food and faith is foreign for us. But here we have within our scripture, one of the oldest traditions of gathering around the table. This is the oldest festival in the entire Bible known as the Passover festival, remembering the time when God freed God's people from Egypt. And the scripture says, You'll do this from generation to generation, and this will be done not just about the food itself, but about remembrance around the table, that you will remember that you were freed from Egypt and the bondage and the slavery. One of the traditions that some churches do during Holy Week is they have a Passover meal. Uh, another way of describing that is a Seder meal. Has anyone ever had a Seder meal? So throughout the tradition of the Jewish faith, at some point, we think probably around just before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, they started developing that Passover meal into a ritual dinner where they have a lamb shank bone and horseradish and some bitter herbs, all of it with symbolism incorporated with prayer around the table and a structure that they would gather with the family. They have a cup of wine, they have some bitters, they have some celery root, they have a whole process to this dinner. And it's fascinating. I invite you to look and learn more about it. And perhaps I know that our church has done it many years ago, and perhaps we'll do it again. But the entire process, the prayers, everything is meant to center the people around a core identity that they are God's people who had been freed from bondage and Egypt. And every portion, the lamb shank is the blood that was put over the doorpost. The bitters are meant to remind them of the harshness of bondage in Egypt. All the pieces of the meal remembered something for them. 
And it shouldn't be surprising. I know many of us have spent time abroad, whether we're you know, deployed or we've done different things like the Peace Corps. But if you spent more than six months abroad and you come back to the United States, what is your first stop, if you're honest? Your favorite restaurant, right? Your favorite thing to eat. The one thing that you were missing. And I remember having lived in Japan for over a year and coming back and I needed to get in and out because I needed a real burger and French fries, right? And part of that is just because we like it, right? The real part of it is the emotional connection we have to the food though, right? And that stirs in you this comfort feeling of being home. I know in and out shouldn't do that, right? But it does. It just reminds me. It connects me. It helps me feel at home. Food can do that. And if you don't have the right food and the right people around the table, you can feel lost. I remember when I was in Japan, and I know some of you had the luxury of when you're off, or, you know, you're off to another country, they ship out turkeys for Thanksgiving, right? You can't find turkeys in Japan to, for the life of you. I mean, like, you literally can't, this is not, I didn't realize it was an American thing, was turkeys. But there I was in Japan teaching English without a turkey and without my family, right? And without friends. And I just had a few friends there, and I think we went out and got Indian food that night, you know, because it wasn't a thing, to have a turkey. And there was something missing about that experience. It's cultural experience, but something was missing. You see, Jesus gathered around a table. And not just any table, but he gathered around the table that we have followed throughout tradition. But that table began as a Passover feast. And so it shouldn't be surprising that when he breaks the bread, and pours out the cup, he adds the words, do this in remembrance of me. Because the table and who we gather with and what we eat at it strikes this core identity. It recalls something in us. Bring me back. I was back in Minnesota in June, and sure enough, I had beef stroganoff, right? And it brought me home to my childhood and grew up. And as I ate around the table with my family and friends, I remembered the time on the lakes when we would gather and my grandma would bring out the food. We've all been there in the moment where you eat something with the people and then there something comes back in your memory. That is the entire purpose of gathering around the communion table. It's to shape us, to land us, within a core identity that we are God's beloved, for whom God gave of God's self in Jesus, emptied himself, took on the form not of a king, but of a servant, and led a path of love that ultimately led to death, but that freed us from the bondage of sin and death, that paved a way for us for life here and now, and life to come. That God's grace, freely given, no matter your doubts, no matter your mistakes, is given to you at the table. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me. 
So as we begin this series at the table, for us, we ought to begin with the reminder that we are to remember God's activity in our lives, but in all the generations that have gone before. Because when we gather at the table, we gather reminiscing on the Passover, on God freeing God's people from bondage, and it's a sign for us of hope. What I found super fascinating this past week as I read more and more about Seder meals is that each Jewish culture, the diaspora of Jews that have gone over throughout the world, often adds a little tweak to it. The little tweak to the Seder meal connects not to the past, but a little bit more to the present. The trials that they had gone through to remind them of the hope of God to free them. So in Germany, they eat potatoes, reminding of the ghettos that they're put into. In other contexts, other reminders. Because that meal that was once in the past and God freed God's people some, you know, 2,000 or 3,000 years ago out of Egypt doesn't just end there. But God can do it over and over and over again. And it's a reminder of hope. Do this in remembrance of me is the past, present, and future reality that God wants to create for us. So as you gather around your table, I think one of the practices is just that. Our tables together ought to remember to acknowledge the present and to hope for the future. One of the things that we do in our family and hopes to instill this is when we gather every meal, well, most every meal, when we actually sit at the table, what's one thing you're thankful for? If you want dessert, you got to say it. <laughs> What's one thing you're thankful for? Because we remember something good. And we do that before we pray and we give, God, give thanks to God for what we're thankful for in that day. And so my hope throughout this series is that we will remember together. We'll gather with our friends and with one another. So one of my goals for us during this time is that we've come through a time of COVID where many of us have been eating alone at our houses. But our hope is that we can begin to eat together going forward. Because we all know we learn way more about people when we gather around a table. Hence, we're going to eat afterwards with Leilani's food truck tacos. It's going to be here after we eat at the communion table. We invite you to stick around after. But what I want to do throughout later on in this month and into September, so after our school routines go, is we want to find some hosts that are willing to host dinners of six. Because I, and no other intention, you don't have to know anything about the Bible, you don't have to be, you know, up on your theology or whatever, just be able to host a dinner of six. You can do it at the church, you can just choose a restaurant to go to. You can also do it at your home. It doesn't matter how you want to do it. Just willing to be the organizing person for a dinner of six and just choosing whether or not you want to include kids into that or not. And that's how we'll differentiate if how we connect. So later we're going to ask people to sign up to do the dinners of six. But today, one of the things that we want to do 
is this week to let me know that you're willing to be a host for these dinners of six. Because I truly believe that gathering around the table in this new season, kind of, I know, we're still in this season of COVID, but in this new season where we're able to do more together, that it might stir in us a remembrance of our core identity that we are together on this journey. Because that's the hope, isn't it? That we support each other on this journey. And as we gather for dinners of six, the one thing we'll do is we'll remember something good. Either years and years past, present, and then perhaps even a hope for the future. Because Jesus, when he gathered with his disciples... They remembered the Passover, the goodness of God in the past. And then he also set the stage for the hope for the future. So the first thing you need to know about the tables in the Bible, even as obscure as this is from the book of Exodus, is the whole point of all of it was to know that they are God's beloved that that community belongs to God. And then to do it year after year after year and to remember the freedom that God gives and the hope for the future that God has for us. What a great reminder for our tables. No matter how good the food is, the love of God surpasses all of it. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we give thanks that as we gather around the tables of our lives and around the communion table, we remember your goodness. We give thanks for the ways in which we've experienced your love, the freedom from challenging circumstances, recovery from illnesses, the mending of relationships, as well as the freedom that you've given your people who have been bond, found bondage and slavery or the other oppressions that they have found. And together, as we remember, we pray that you would make us the hope around us in the world, that we might get involved in the same movement of your love that we remember around the table. And it's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.